Hello and welcome to Industry Elites. On this podcast, Industry Elites' very own Natalie and Vicky are going to be discussing the latest news trending around the world. On this episode of the podcast, Natalie and I are excited to continue with part two of our sit-down with weight loss doctor, Dr. Jan McBaron. So let's jump right in. We can move on to the next diet. So this is another one that Vicky and I had not heard of before, and it was the raw food diet. So obviously I was really concerned. I'm like reading this. I'm like, okay, raw food, a diet? Um, that seems like salmonella. Like I'm not <laughs> cooking my chicken enough, and now I'm going to be sick. But obviously it was not that on a more serious note. The raw food diet is experimenting with raw foods and how they have an effect on our human health. These are foods that involve not being cooked, not processed or microwave. Some are saying that cooking, what it does is breaking down the enzymes and in uncooked live food, which helps digestion and absorbing nutrients. So this one is really dominant with fruits and vegetables and there's guaranteed weight loss, but some negatives of it might be that there's too many rules and loss of meal prep. So obviously I think doc, you'd be able to kind of round this out a little bit more and give us more of that expert opinion on what it really is uh, and its health benefits if they're there or not. Well, one of the reasons you never heard of rawism, which is the term for people that only eat raw food, is it's not popular because it's not practical. And I mean, you joked, but you're, but you're correct. It really wasn't a joke. There is a concern for food poisoning. There absolutely is a concern of food poisoning. And also, there really are not enough vitamins and minerals in the foods that they're suggesting you should eat. And it also has been shown that eating only raw fruits and vegetables can lead to calcium depletion, but uh, low bone densities. So I think it does have, I think it's tough to follow. It's not popular. It has some inherent dangers in it. But I, I don't want to lose the point that you said earlier, Natalie, which is really spot on. And it's like, yes, this raw food diet, you will lose weight on. Every single diet, someone will lose weight on. Mm-hmm. Every, it doesn't matter what you do. If you go on a diet, mentally, you have said two things to yourself. Number one, you've said, I am going to restrict my calories to only X, Y, That's step one. And then the second thing you said to yourself is, and this is temporary. I'm only going to do it for X amount of time. In other words, nobody says, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's, it really is. And that's really healthy eating is when you make a decision that this is why I'm going to eat. And this is what I'm going to eat the rest of my life, as opposed to I'm going to do this till I get in the dress for the prom or till I get in my wedding dress or till I go to the beach and I get in that bathing suit or until I, until, until my son's graduation or until my daughter's wedding. It's like people say they want to lose weight for a goal for, I want to lose 50 pounds. Like I had to lose 70 pounds. Okay. So, you know, people can lose weight on any diet. Any diet will work on most people because it's caloric restriction. But the problem is it's not sustainable. All of these diets for the most part just inherently are not sustainable. And that's the problem with raw food. That's why, that's why you don't hear much about it. And people that try to follow it think, well, oh, well, I, I, you know, it's the raw food diet, but I certainly, I have to cook my chicken and my, my meat and, and see raw food diet doesn't address soda doesn't I mean they say don't have anything processed but you know how many people drink like Coke Zero and I'm just I'm not bashing Coke Zero I'm bashing all soda they drink caloric free soda thinking that they're doing themselves a favor they're like oh there's no calories in it yeah well there's no nutrition in it either get a can of Drano and get a can of soda and look at the comparisons my gosh it's just all chemicals it's yeah. chemicals we should not call them soft drinks they're chemical drink whether they have sugar in them or not that's a separate issue but but inherent in soda is there's nothing good about about soda. And I used to live in Atlanta and I, you know, to say something against Coca-Cola in the South is like <laughs> bad news. Yes, yes. Anyway. Well, you know what I mean? It's like you go to someone's house and it's like, what do you want to drink? I have tea, I have soda. 
what do you want to drink? And I'm like, uh, you got water? No, we don't have that. (laughs) And then it's always with ice. It's like, oh, I don't need ice. I mean, it's like we have this mindset that uh, the entertain has to involve calories. Raw foods, I'm going to give it a thumbs down. Yeah. On the soda thing, uh, especially with Diet Cokes or Coke Zeros, I used to find this absolutely hilarious. In high school, I used to work at McDonald's. And when people would always order a double Big Mac, large fry, cheeseburger on the side, and a large Diet Coke. And that always used to kill me because I was like, yes, the Coke is the issue. <laughs> right. Right. I, I, yeah. I have a friend and, you know, she, she drinks her coffee. She puts sweet and low in her coffee while she eats dessert. I'm like, why don't you just, you know, <laughs> drink your coffee black and eat an extra piece of dessert. I mean, you don't need that sweet and low. I mean, you know how horrible sweet and low is? Well, we get into a whole nother podcast about this artificial sweeteners. That's a whole nother. Based on sure. some of the things that you mentioned off of the last raw foods diet. So one of the things you were saying is that when we're all looking to, we made that choice, we're going to lose the weight, but it's always geared towards a certain goal. So I wanted to maybe get your perspective on why we're always looking to just attain something temporarily for a goal versus, oh, we're going to take that step to here, let's change the way that like our lifestyles are the rest of my life versus like, we're just going to do this to have like a good summer body. But then after summer, that's okay. We're going to go back to how it is. Like, what's your perspective as an expert on that? Well, pretty much anyone who loses weight will swear, swear to you that they're never going to gain it back again. That's inherent in the mantra of I'm going to lose weight is, and I'm not going to gain it back again. But they always do because they never know any diet. And we're using the word diet to mean caloric restriction here or caloric manipulation. Any diet is destined for failure in terms of maintenance because you can't maintain the lifestyle or what it took to get to goal. You can't continue that the rest of your life because things happen. The weekend comes around. Your vacation comes around. It's the holidays. It's your grandbaby's birthday. It's your son's wedding. It's your this. There's events that happen. And so we abandon weight loss effort during those events. Well, I used to say to patients, like when it get to be the holiday time, I would say, listen, here's the way I want to talk about the holidays. Oh, I'm so worried. I'm going to gain all this weight on the holidays. And I'd be like, okay, here's the deal. At very best, if you count, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Easter, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, your anniversary, count them all up. The most you can come up with for holidays at best is about 20. In addition, if you then say, okay, I have 20 holidays I'm going to deem are the holidays. Then I'm going to have a week vacation. Now I'm going to take two weeks vacation. So now, now you have 34 days of the year. If 34 days of the year, you ate whatever you wanted in whatever amount you wanted, you're not going to gain weight because it's only 34 out of 365. But the problem is it's the other, we don't gain weight from Thanksgiving to Christmas. We gain weight from Christmas to Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's the problem. It's the, it's, the, it's the rest of the time. Anyway, so I think people focus on dieting as that it's going to be temporary. That's number one. That's why it's doomed for failure because it's temporary. Second thing is just think of the word diet. Just look at the first three words. Why do you even want to do that? The first three letters. I mean, you know, <laughs> You don't want to do that. And, you know, and the other thing is that, that people who diet want to lose weight is what they say, and they will lose health in that process all for that almighty piece of metal called the scale that it's like, I just, as long as that number on the scale is good, I'm happy. You know, that's, that's it. So I think 
Inherent in the word diet is a temporary. Inherent in the word diet is deprivation, which is why people that do these diets will gain their weight back because maintenance has nothing to do with willpower. But everybody thinks, oh, I'll never gain this back, but they, they do. The other reason that I think dieting is so hard, first of all, food choices are extremely personal and they're very emotional, very emotional. The amount of psychological messaging that goes on in our brain associated with our taste buds and what we choose to put into our body is huge. And most diets ignore all of that. They ignore all of that. Until you address that, you can't really get to the core root of the problem and solve people's weight issues permanently. So I think if you look at what is defined as a success in weight loss, a success in weight loss is defined as losing 15 or more pounds and keeping that off. So let's say, you know, I lost 50 pounds. So once I hit my goal of 50 pounds or whatever, 20 pounds, 30, whatever people's goal is, once you lose that, if you keep that off for 18 months, a year and a half, your risk of gaining that back is about 4%, almost not going to happen. But in those first 18 months, your risk of gaining it back is 97%. Oh, wow. I mean, you can talk to anybody that's lost weight and ask them how many times have you lost weight. Did you lose weight? Yeah, I lost weight. Did you find it again? Yeah, I found it and plus another yeah. 10, right? <laughs> I mean, it's what happens. It happens. So that's why just using that word diet is it's not sustainable, it's temporary, and it's why people gain their weight right back again. I think a lot of people probably have that question, so I definitely thank you for taking that minute to just do that in-depth look at it because people do think like, oh, okay, diet, yes, we're going to move forward with it, but even like you said that word is just the negativity sorry is already in that word so you're basically already starting off on this foot where it's like okay I can do it even though people are like dreading it on the inside so it's definitely good to get that like background analysis on it but I guess Vicky can move to the next one yep actually sorry one more note on that was it's funny that you mentioned that the mentality of this is, is not permanent because I signed up for a gym about a year ago I was going for the record and uh, <laughs> uh before corona hit you know but I thought it was really funny it was the first thing you know when you go in you get the trainer and they show you the gym and then they kind of start asking your goals the first thing the trainer asked me was like why like and he literally went through he's just like is it, do you have a wedding do you have a baby shower do you have an event is it your birthday and it was all kind of geared toward this event and I was like no I just want to go to the gym thank you <laughs> like, I just well, thought that was the weirdest thing well but that is really where we're at with with the whole diet issue as well I mean, first question I used to say to patients when they would come to me is, why are you here? And, oh, I want to lose weight. I was like, for what reason? Well, I want to get healthy. Well, uh, you know, I have cancer in my family. I want to reduce my risk. Well, I'm diabetic. I, I'm, I'm pre-diabetic. Pre-diabetic is like pre-pregnant. It means you're fooling around with your blood sugar. You know, that's crazy. <laughs> it's like, I wish we would take the word pre-diabetes out of our vocabulary as physicians. And the reason I say that is because people respect, tend to respect diabetes. If you give them that label, that diagnosis, they tend to maybe respect that a little bit more and pay attention to it more than they do pre-diabetes. Pre-diabetes means, well, I'm really not there yet. Anyway, but back to the issue, I think it is very, very important to understand the same way your trainer was trying to understand what you what your goal was. What is people's goal? In other words, why do they want to change what they're eating? Why do you want to change what you're eating? And when you understand why you want to do that, then that reason becomes valid and you can work towards that. You know, one of the things I always used to say to my patients, I would always say to them, listen, here's what I want us to do. Because I always felt like I was in it with them. I'm going to 
suggest, especially patients that would say, nothing's working, I'm not losing any more weight, I hit a plateau, I'm stuck, or I've just gained weight this month. It's, it's, I go, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to quit dieting. I don't want you to diet. I don't want you to diet at all. Because diet means subtraction. That's what diet means. It means subtraction. I want to do addition. I want us to add this month. And here's what I want you to add. Every day, I want you to add at least one piece of fruit. I want you to add eight, eight ounce glasses of water. And I want you to add only a 10 minute walk. But every day, a 10 minute walk. One fruit, eight glasses of water, and a 10 minute walk every day for the next month. That's all. I don't want you to think about weight loss. I don't want you to think about dieting. I just want you to add these three things, but do them every day, every single day. And they come in the following month and they go, I can't believe I lost weight this month. I wasn't even watching what I was eating. <laughs> You're like, you know, I told the, you. Yeah, <laughs> and the other, the other thing they'll say, they'll say is, well, uh, 10 minutes isn't going to do anything. And that's the problem. People feel like if I don't exercise for an hour, well, 10 minutes isn't going to do anything. You know, if I don't go to the gym, if I don't work up a sweat, if I don't you know, if I'm not sore after it, you know, I'm, it's not worth it. But you know, if you walk 10 minutes every single day for the course of a month, you've walked almost three hours. Don't you think if you walk three hours in the course of a month that you would lose weight? Of course you would. You know, and 10 minutes is simple. You walk away from your house for five minutes, you turn around and come back again. It's easy. And patients used to say, what do I do if it rains? I said, take a bar of soap. I mean, you, know what? you get wet. I mean, you get wet. I mean, you get wet for 10 minutes. It's not the end of the world. Just don't go if it's lightning. But yeah. So, you know, people have all sorts of excuses. So, so the the next diet we have is the ketogenic diet. I've been uh, seeing. <laughs> I know. I'm I was say, I've been... on this one. This is so painful for me to talk about as a doctor, but go ahead. <laughs> um, I have been seeing this on absolutely everything now. It's all over social media. There's all these bunny ears keto supplements you see in the grocery stores now, in CVS, all those kind of things. And it's just, I guess, the current fad. Uh, so basically, it's maintaining a state of ketosis by eating fewer carbs. And it relies on fat burning instead of burning sugar for energy. Apparently, it's very effective in the short terms, but this diet is super, super, super strong. Uh, we had your reaction earlier uh, there, Doc. So would you like to weigh in on this one? I need oxygen, please, quick. Um, well, okay, it is, it is very popular again. This is a diet oh. that has cycled through years of popularity. So it's just back in vogue right now. That's all. It's not new. It's just back in cycle. Oh, that's what is yeah, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. What is new is all the foods and supplements that they're trying to build around this because it's gotten so popular. You will lose weight on a ketogenic diet. You will not gain health and you will gain it back again. And then you'll try it again. I mean, first of all, what are, what are ketones? Ketones are formed by your body when you are burning fat in the absence of carbohydrate. So people on ketogenic diets askew. I mean, it's just like they want nothing to do with carbs. They don't understand what about carbohydrates other than they just think they're bad for them. So people will turn their backs on all carbohydrates and all carbohydrates are not bad. Carbohydrates are one of the six things that we all discussed you need for good health. You know, there's nothing bad about a carbohydrate, carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. You need carbohydrates. You need complex carbohydrates, not simple, refined table sugar. So that is the problem with the ketogenic diet. You know, to me, it leads to tremendous vitamin imbalances. You, to say to somebody, they cannot eat a piece of fruit. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And to say to somebody, you can sit here and eat this big hunk of steak, but don't eat that baked potato with 
the skin on it. And you should eat the skin of a baked potato, by the way, because that's where all the fiber is. But So they won't eat the baked potato, They'll, but they'll eat the... Take this hunk of meat, which is the muscle of a dead animal, and they'll eat it because the scale will reward them with a better number. Not even thinking about the health implications of that. And it does, I have seen in my practice, now I have had physicians argue with me to the contrary, and that's the beauty of what you do in medical practice. You can look at your patients and say, well, this has been my experience. So my experience with my patients who have chosen this ketogenic diet is their cholesterol goes up, their triglycerides go up, and inherent in that, their risk of cancer goes up. And that is something I'm not willing to trade in a patient. So I want my patients to eat healthy, and ketogenic diet is not, in my opinion, as a medical doctor, a healthy diet. I see a lot of it kind of, because it is so trending on Instagram, for example, yeah. nowadays, and you have people that have a Baconator from Wendy's, no bun, <laughs> cheese and all, all the bacon, all the meat, and it'll be like, hashtag keto. I was like, I feel like that's where that comes from, this cult following almost, because people think they can literally eat whatever they want to kind of achieve this. Still eating a burger that's so yeah. greasy, has yeah. a whole bunch of cheese on it, but it's from a fast food joint, so it's not even like it's from your house. <laughs> well, and you know, you know what the problem is? If you do not have adequate levels of carbohydrate, complex carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates are very important in the production of serotonin and dopamine. If you don't have enough serotonin and dopamine, you're you're not a happy person. You know, I used to say to people that would follow the keto diet, my patients, I would say, you know, they'd come in and they'd be like, oh, I'm so glad I lost weight, but I'm pretty snappy. I've been pretty nasty to my husband. I'm pretty irritable. And I'm like, you know what I need you to do? I need you to go out and get a cheese and vegetable pizza. Do not get meat on it, but just get a veggie pizza. And they're like, Oh, I can't do that. I'll gain weight. I'm like, you're not going to gain weight from tomato sauce. If you get, especially if you ask for whole wheat crust mm -hmm. or even just the crust of one piece of pizza, you know, that's not going to, it's not that harmful for you. But if that's a way to get you to eat some vegetables and get you a little bit of carbohydrate and you'll feel better, you'll produce more serotonin and you'll feel better, then that's healthy. That's better for you than being so miserable because you're not making any serotonin. But then, you know, but then they're so quick. Patients are quick to say, well, I got my Xanax or I got my, my Prozac. And it's <laughs> oh, like, that's <laughs> oh, that's really great. You know, that's that's really going to solve, you know, that well, you could solve it if you just ate better. And now, now, I don't want that to be taken out of context. I don't want your listeners of this podcast to say that I am anti-psychiatric medications, which Xanax oh, yeah. and Prozac are psychiatric medications. I think there's a place for them in medicine, and I think they're valuable when used properly. But I don't think they should be given to patients, like in my instance, that would be not making enough serotonin because they're not getting any carbohydrates because they're eating a keto diet. They don't feel well, and now they need an antidepressant secondary to their dietary choices, not secondary to a true mental problem, mental illness. So sure. I needed to clarify that because I don't want to be misquoted on that. So, no so uh, yeah, keto's hot. It'll stay hot for a while. It'll fade out and it'll come back again. So do you remember Dr. Atkins? I do. The Atkins diet. Well, oh, I haven't heard of that. And in the seventies, the Atkins diet is and was a ketogenic diet. Oh, oh, I didn't know it's that. all it was. Atkins was all about ketogenic and he his spouse, Bob, and he was a friend of mine. He and I were on panels together as well. He said, I want you to do this for two weeks, then get off of it and start having fruits and vegetables. That was the true Atkins diet. But people took the two weeks of only eat meat and said, I'm running with this. This oh. is great. And that, then it faded out because people gained their weight back. It lost popularity. And now it's back with a new name. It's just a new name. It's not a new diet. It's called keto. See, that's so interesting because what we were saying, like back to Victoria's point about social media. So I feel 
feel like social media definitely fuels a lot of things that are popular now and things that are considered, I guess, social norms or, hey, if you're wanting to lose some weight, here's what you should do. But it's also who they're attached to. So it seems like obviously this Dr. Atkins was somewhat of popularity during this time where people felt like he was, he could really influence them positively. And if he believed in this, then they would believe in this. So I think that's kind of similar now to a lot of celebrities that you see are backing different companies who offer like ketogenic diet supplements or whatever the case may be. So someone who maybe didn't even fully research what a keto diet might look like, but because this celebrity was doing it, they're all for it. And they don't even know maybe half of what goes into it. And they could be taking this entirety of a diet, but maybe only taking like two to three things from it. So that's probably not healthy yet either. Right. I think most people look at a diet and they take, they cherry pick it. Mm -hmm. Most people, most people choose selectively what they're going to do. They're not going to follow something to the letter and do it correctly. And also I think a lot of these celebrities, by the way, you know, these are not celebrities that just decided to try something. A lot of this is a paid endorsement. Which people sometimes don't realize. I feel like they don't like put their mind to that. Exactly. I mean, Nutrisystem, Marie Osmond, Weight Watchers is Oprah's gig. I mean, come on. I I can't say that they are not getting paid. I can't say that they are getting paid, Mm -hmm. but I'm just saying that people should, like you, like you said, question when somebody, a celebrity is endorsing something, if this is the person whose health you, you know, you rely on this person to tell you how to be healthy. Exactly. And they don't even know you. So how would, <laughs> how exactly. could they, we take their word for it? Oh yes, we're totally going to be healthy because someone uh, on social media told me I was going to be. Right. Actually a note on that with the celebrity kind of endorsement things, another thing really popular on Instagram pretty much right now, um, and especially kind of geared towards people, me and Natalie's age, uh, mainly girls, is they have a lots of brands, I won't say them on here, but lots of brands that kind of have these detox weight loss teas. Have you, I'm, I'm assuming you've heard of those things. How do you feel about those ones? Do you think they're just kind of a diuretic and that's it or? Well, I think, you know, the whole topic of detoxing, we could do a whole podcast on as well. It's a very <laughs> sure. controversial, but I think it is a very necessary process that people should go through. I think detoxing is important. I do think that some of the benefits to these teas, I mean, when it's a good herbal tea, there are benefits to herbs. And I do think that you know the benefit to the tea is goes beyond just the diuresis it causes because a glass of water will cause diuresis. But if I have an herbal tea that's a, a diuretic, that uh, if I have an herbal tea that the herbs in it are going to help me in some fashion, gives me more of a benefit than just a glass of water. And for a lot of individuals, although you should still drink water, by the way, but a lot yes. of, in, in fact, when you are detoxing, you need to increase your water intake. So, so I think there's benefits in good detoxing and in good detox teas. So yes, I think there's benefits to those. All right. So mainly I think we should probably just not listen to something on social media and advise our listeners to do a bit more research online and go to your doctor and maybe get their advice as well in regards to maybe starting a little bit more of a restrictive diet. But let's just go to the final one on our list now. So it's intermittent fasting diet. So what this diet does, it's time-restrictive eating, developing an eating pattern for individuals. Some people can fast for 16 hours a day and then eat for the other eight hours. This works with maybe people who have busier schedules. One of the issues maybe is that there's no real food guide to this. It just seems like a little lax in terms of its structure on how people can lose their weight other than the time frame. But maybe Doc can give us a little more insight on the background of intermittent fasting. Okay. It's popular. It's just started gaining popularity in the past year or two, maybe three years now. But let's just back up for one minute and, and I want our listeners to hear this. Every one of us practices intermittent fasting every single 
Okay. Where do you think the word breakfast comes from? It breaks the fast. The fast that has happened all night while we were asleep. And that's all this intermittent fasting fad diet is predicated on. It takes the very inherent, okay, I don't eat when I'm asleep and tries to extend that into more daylight hours or daytime hours. You know, I had somebody on social media ask me recently, just recently, like in the past week, is it okay to eat breakfast at five o'clock at night? Well, see, the problem is if she doesn't eat anything all day until five o'clock at night, that is breakfast. The definition of breakfast is the first consumption of calories after you have woken up from a night of fasting. That's all it is. It's not a food. It's not a type of food. That's not the definition of breakfast. It's when you eat. Wow. So intermittent fasting is something we all do all the time. And the trend now is, you know, eight and 16 isn't quite enough of a window. So people have gravitated now towards the 14 hours. And remember, it's the you should have more hours of fasting than you do feeding. A lot of people have gotten those numbers turned around. Oh, I can eat for 16 hours and I won't for eight. No, it goes the other way around. <laughs> so basically more, when we're sleeping, we're not eating. <laughs> we're not supposed to be eating. That's right. And you know, people that patients who say to me, well, I get up in the middle of the night and I have to eat something. I said, no, you don't. Get up in the middle of the night, have a glass of water and under pain of death. Problem is when you paddle into the kitchen and open that refrigerator door. That's the problem. You don't yes. have to eat. If you just stay in bed, drink some Close water, your, your stomach gases will be diluted by the water because that's really what wakes you up. Your stomach acids get concentrated and you feel this gnawing in your stomach and feel like you just have to have a little something, have to put a little something down in there. Well, it's just stomach acid just because, you know, hunger really is in our brain. It's not in our stomach. We feel growling in our stomach. That's acid or gas. It's not hunger. It's not true hunger because hunger is in our brain. But anyway, so back to the fasting for just a minute. I think the the problem with this is most people can't do it. Most people will say, yeah. I'm going to restrict my calories till I'm not going to eat after six o'clock at night. Well, then you go out to dinner. Well, then yeah. you get home from work late one day. Well, then it's like, it's Friday, you know, oh, it's, you know, we have this big Sunday brunch. I, I can't do it today. No, in other words, it's just difficult. It's difficult to do that, but it is a good discipline. I mean, if, if everyone would stop eating, not put another morsel of food in their mouth five hours before they go to bed, people wouldn't have weight problems. It's far better to go to bed hungry and wake up and eat a big breakfast than it is eat close to bedtime, go to sleep. If you sleep on it, it's making fat. If you go to bed hungry, you'll burn fat. So, but we don't, we all eat too late. We all eat too close to bedtime. And then we wonder why, you know, children get nightmares and we wonder why we're restless at night, why we have to have, you know, my pillow, my topper, my sheets, my this, my, you know, all this stuff to help us sleep because it's like, well, we ate too close to bedtime. If we would just back the food up, then our brain could go to sleep instead of digesting our food. I mean, in our circulatory system, we only have a certain amount of blood and basically we are a quart low. And what I mean by that is the amount of blood that circulates through our whole body day in and day out, cannot circulate the same amount to every single organ every single moment of the day. For example, when you eat, you have to shunt blood to your GI tract, send more blood to your gastrointestinal system so that your gastrointestinal system can start to absorb the nutrients out of the food that you just ate. Well, when it takes it out of your stomach, it affects your brain. So you don't sleep as well. If you, like if you exercise, you know this, you know, if you exercise really heavily, your face gets red. Well, that's yeah. because you've had to deliver more oxygen to your periphery area, to your arms, your legs, you know, you have to get it out into your extremities where, where you're doing the exercise. Well, your face is on the exterior part of your body and your skin under your eyes is the thinnest skin in your body. So you can see your face gets red because you pumped more blood to your skin, to the periphery of your body. 
So that's the same thing with this fasting. If people would just not eat so close to bedtime, they'd sleep better, they'd have a longer fast, and that works to help you lose weight. But inherent in the in the definition of this intermittent fasting diet, it just means that you're going to go calorie absent for a various amount of time. In other words, some people do it for religious reasons. Some people will do alternate day fasting. Some people will do periodic. I'm going to you know fast for this particular week or three days or something. But this, when we see it on social media and we see the popularity of intermittent fast, they are specifically meaning daily, like cutting the hours, like you said, either 16 with 80 eating hours, 16 fast, 80 or 14 fast, 10 eat. And it doesn't work if you do it for weight loss really, really intermittently. In other words, if you want to do intermittent fasting for weight loss and you're going to follow this 16-8 rule, then you shouldn't be varying which 16 hours you pick. In other words, you should say, I'm going to eat from 10 o'clock in the morning till six at night. And that's it. That's my eating window. But people don't think when they have that cup of coffee in the morning that that's eating. See, eating to people means when when do I put salt? When do I chew? See, people confuse eating with chewing. You can eat. Eating just means you're consuming calories. And you can do that in beverage form. Even a black coffee. So we're saying anything minus water outside of that time frame would be considered kind of breaking that fast. Well, I, I, I I wasn't referring to coffee as black coffee. I mean, most people oh, okay. have to so, do, have to do so their Starbucks and have, have to have you know, <laughs> all this, the creamer in it and the latte okay. and the this and the that and everything else. Gotcha. So, um, but the point is that if you can, if you can simply, I'm good if somebody, if somebody wakes up first thing in the morning, and goes in the kitchen and eats, I have no problem with that. But there is a real issue with people eating too close to bedtime. And that's why a lot of people on night shift gain weight, by the way. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody go on night shift and then you see them a year later and they're 50 pounds heavier. And then you say, oh my God, how they gain all this weight? Well, guess what? They only gained a pound a week. It's all it takes to gain 50 pounds a year is a pound a week, right? Yeah, right? very true. You know, I used to say to my nurses when I we hit my 30th anniversary in practice of seeing my patients, I would say to my nurses, you know, I weigh now what I did when I opened my practice 30 years ago. And they're like, oh, I could never maintain my weight for 30 years. You know, there's no way you can maintain your weight for 30 years. Well, guess what? If I had just gained one pound a year, a year, if I allowed myself the luxury of one pound a year, by my 30th anniversary in my medical practice, I would have been 30 pounds overweight. That's all it takes. It doesn't take much to accumulate over the years, which is, you know, people will say, well, you know, I want to lose 30 pounds. I'm like, well, they'll say it's baby fat. And I'll say, well, how old's your son? They'll go 18. I'm like, no, it's just baby fat. Anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. That doesn't have that. That's not, uh-uh. no, it's not baby fat you're trying to lose. So, but my point is that if somebody has taken 15 years to gain weight, let's say somebody gained 20 pounds over 15 years. And what they want to do is they want to lose it in two weeks. You know, it's like you took it 15 years to gain it. You're not going to lose it in two weeks at least not to be able to keep it off. So that's the other thing about goal setting. So I got off topic with the fasting. So I think the fasting is trendy, fatty, fashionable right now. I think the bottom line is if you would just fast closer to bedtime, give yourself, given that this time you're asleep is going to be a fast and just tack a lot more hours before bedtime onto it, you'll lose weight successfully. This brings us to the end of part two with Dr. Jan McBaron. Join us next week for the finale of our three-part series. And as always, thanks for listening.